question on the table is whether we're going to actually talk about magic this time. I mean, I kind of want to talk about magic. Mono magic. No other topics. I'm pretty excited about magic right now. Like the, the I love magic. The result, I mean, obviously, I've been playing magic pretty much nonstop for 18 years now. What year is it? 2012? 2012. We're going into 2013. We're coming up yeah, on the 20th. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 20. Yeah. yeah, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary well, of Magic this year. Maybe we should be like, hey, this is Brian David Marshall and stuff. People know. Yeah, know. Brian David Marshall, Michael J. Flores, Top 8 Magic. Um, you know, ma- Magic, it's right in the name of the podcast. That's what we have to talk about it. Speaking of playing Magic for a long time and time going by, you know who's a year older? Who? You know who we haven't haven't taunted in a long time? <gasps> Oh, well, let's not let's not wish him a happy birthday. No, I mean, I, ex- I already did that IRL. I did too. Well, I did too. But anyway, we haven't had taunting John Becker in a long time. That is true. It's very true. Does this count as taunting him? I think it does. I bet right now he's like listening to this podcast. And he's like, like fuming. He's so angry. He's like, yeah. how come I'm not in the room? Well, we're going to talk about the top eight least playable spiders in the history of magic now. <laughs> All of them are playable. <laughs> All right, no, seriously about magic. I was actually had a long conversation with Chris Pakula today about about winning magic tournaments and how accessible the pro tour might be or might not be. Oh, Chris Pakula just like lost in the final yeah. PTQ this past weekend, just like dusted off the wand, which is both a euphemism and not a euphemism and not at all. A euphemism. Yeah, uh, I mean it's actually actually just a euphemism, right? It's a euphemism for playing magic after you haven't played magic in a while. So yeah, so he, he lost in the finals and he, he put a question up on Twitter. He's like, you know, how long does it take for you to stop thinking about this? And it's funny. I thought it, this morning... Do you know the story about me casting the Palancon on losing mana? No, but I can you can you can, I can You can I picture can, it. I, can, I was thinking about that match this morning, like in the shower. It's actually pretty interesting. And I, I, I talked to Chris about like all these times I lost in top eight. And the thing that's ironic for me is I ended up qualifying <laughs> all of these seasons. But, um... But, like, you know, one of them, like, when I was playing teams with Steve and stuff, you know, Steve lost and, and Paul won. It was on me, and I had a substantial advantage on the board. But I gave up so much margin because, like, oh, I'm going to win anyway, you know. Yeah. And then I ended up not winning. Uh, so, like, I, it was like a match that I lost 1-2, but I really lost 3-0, you know. And, and, and I mean, we cued the next weekend. Sure. It, or, like, there are a bunch of times where I, like... You know, the Palancon one. I mean, I won the most improbable PTQ of my life, you know, the very next PTQ. But I mean, I still think about the one bad matchup I had at States one year. So I didn't win a, in Ohio States I played in. Or, like, do you remember, uh, what was that guy's name with the, fa- the fake, he used to wear, like, fake contact lenses with the swamp walk on. He was like, Terry, ter- is it Terry? Some Terry asshole. Excel or something like that. So he had, like, I remember, we, I'm playing for top eight. He's playing, like, Rising Waters with Black. I have, like, yeah. a Katarin Slaver. All my friends see that he has a swamp hidden underneath one of his islands. And, you know, he triple blocks. I'm like, you know, he triple blocks or whatever. I'm going to still get, like, a three-for-one here. And I ended up losing. Um, and, you know, if I just get in this one turn, you know, he's at five. And I'm right, a Katarin right. Slaver. Um, no, no, no. He, he didn't, it wasn't a matter of blocking, right? It was a matter of you just weren't attacking. No, no. I attacked him. And oh. he, I three-for-one'd him on the attack because he blocked with, like, yeah, three dudes. But still. way your friends wouldn't point out that that was swamp-walked then. The, what I remember no, was no, no, he didn't no, no, attack. No. I, you didn't attack because there were no good attacks. No. And I you didn't know he did attack, and he did block. And then after the match, Jeff Wu and Josh Ravitz were like, you know, he has a swamp hidden underneath oh, these islands. And the, um, But, you know, re- regardless... I actually didn't cue that season. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's terrible. Uh, but I mean, it actually was very formative for me. And it's actually the other thing ironic is that I had easily a top twenty-five constructed rating the whole season. But every time you make top eight, when you have a, a top twenty-five constructed rating, you lose ten points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I had uh, with like two weeks into the season or something, I had Brian Kibler covered by twenty-three points, and Kibler took the last ratings invite, and that's the one he he actually made his first top eight in with, uh, with Red Zone. It's kind of, you know, this interesting butterfly effect story. Um, but, yeah, but anyway, I, I, you know, whatever. It's 12 years later, I'm still thinking about this pizza. I'm sure, you know, feel, feel free to, to, to tweet at us if you, re- like, if you remember, yeah, like, your sort of PTQ heartbreak stories. Like, and how long you remember them. I mean, uh, uh I mean, I, I, I mean, I, re- I remember the tournament where I got named bad player Flores. Uh, I made top eight of a PTQ. It was like a lo- one of these long, long PTQs. 
I think you were probably running it in Philadelphia. Sure. I came up, I think I might have been living in Ohio at the time, and I came up to meet, like, Schuler and a bunch of the, the old Team Discovery Channel guys, and I, I made top eight. I beat Dorian. I beat Dorian in the Dorian last round. Dorian Anders? Yeah, in the last round. I mean, that woman had game. I mean, like, I think that she was badly misunderstood by the Magic community. She really had game. Do you remember the two-and-a-half-hour quarterfinal match she played against Tom Swan? Like I said, the woman had game. <laughs> um, so I, I narrowly beat Dorian Anders, and then, so, it's a deciding game of the quarterfinal match, and this is a two-slot PCQ, which is why it's such a heartbreaker, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm on a screwed, and I have, like, eight cards in hand, so I just, like, bolt my opponent's face, you know? And, you know, Schuler just starts, he coins me bad player floors. He's just like, that was awful, Blah blah blah. I'm like, what? Well, I wasn't going to win anyway. He's like, he thinks I should have like, discarded my wildfire emissary or whatever, and like held the lightning bolt for like a future Scottable answer, which is in hindsight probably true. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, I don't want to discard, so I'll just bolt his face. Uh, and it was like turn two, and there were no guys in play. Um, so you know, you get something for you guys to think about, even when you're about to discard. Maybe. Well, maybe I think dis- I think that whatever we've asked them to think about yeah. is actually lost because if they haven't been playing for a very long time. They still have not fully gotten their head around the idea of a two-slot qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> right? In an era of four-slot Grand Prix. Yeah, two This is a... I mean... So, so, in the early days of PTQs, right? They were, were all two-slotters. Well, no, they weren't all two-slotters. They all were... The ones I played. Yeah. They were PTQs. Uh, each PTQ qualified um, two people. Because uh, there were there was, uh, but there was, only, there was there was a juniors pro tour and a seniors pro tour. So at the end of the Swiss, but there was round, only one travel invite back then. Right? Yeah, yeah. At the end of the Swiss rounds, no, there was a juniors travel invite. I think too. At the end of the Swiss rounds, the top eight juniors would get pulled out of the standings and form a separate bracket. Right. <laughs> so it was really weird, right? Because like, especially like in New York. Right, you know, like, oh, let's see, who are those top eight juniors? Steve Mahoney Schwartz. Justin Schneider. Justin Schneider. Zvi Moschewitz. Yeah. Right, so you'd end up having, like, four people, like, in, like, really in actual top eight like, contention, who were suddenly out of the standing. Like, you could be in 11th place or, 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 or you know, 10th, 11th, even 12th place and still make the top eight of the grown-up you could you could just like back into the top eight. I like it. I mean, I remember the first. That's PTQ, how it used to work. The first PCQ I ever won, like there were nine juniors or something, and Tuna was the one. Was yeah. The man out. <laughs> a young Tuna Hua. And then and then uh, and then there were also two slot qualifiers. Yeah. And there were even the mythical four slot qualifiers, which were pretty amazing. They were fairly rare. I qualified in a four slot qualifier. So one of my favorite stories ever is a four slot qualifier uh, in New Jersey. And like I ran that. The top eight was like insane murderers row. Eric Lauer, Tony Sai. So Lauer is first out of the Swiss and he's badly outdrafted. And I just remember this, um he's playing black red and his deck isn't very good, right? Yeah. Uh but like his opponent's playing like black white or something. And uh, his opponent's just playing so badly. So Eric has like uh not what's not Mog Fanatic, the one that that boosts one of your guys rather than pinging the opponent. Oh, um, oh, um, Mog. You sacrifice. It. Sacrifice or plus one plus one, yeah, whatever yeah, the name yeah. of it is. So he, he he just goes like this Mog, and then he puts like um, endless scream on it. Remember, it's the Howl from Beyond that doesn't yeah, go away. Yeah. So he puts down the scream, but his opponent has a cop red. So Eric just keeps attacking with uh, with the the Mog Raider with Endless Scream on it, and his opponent just keeps tapping the cop, right? Um, and, you know, this is, this goes on for several turns, and his opponent's just like, yeah, I'm sick of tapping this stupid Endless Scream, whatever, and he plays Cloud Chaser Eagle. Um, Cloud Chaser Eagle, it's a it's a disenchant attached yeah. to a 2-2 two, two flyer. Yeah. And, like, I'm standing next to Jeff Donay at this, and Jeff Donay... I actually remember this. Like, about has a heart attack. He's just like... I believe he said effing and not effing <laughs> scrub, like, audibly. And Eric's, like, sacrifice my Mograder to pump itself, which puts the Endless Scream into the graveyard. And then the opponent kills his own cop with the Cloud Chaser Eagle, which is just, like, anyone listening to this, you can probably visualize that. But that, no, like, I'm sure that, like, maybe at least 33% of the people listening to it could have at some point in their lives made this mistake. But they're all shaking their heads right now. I would never do this. Well, I mean, this is also, this is pre 
Magic Online, right? Oh, like so, so your like, repetitions like, are lower. Well, the repetition, not only the repetitions, are lower, but just also the idea that when something comes into play, that yeah. it has to have a if it says target, it has to have a target yeah. is not as ingrained in your head as it. Yeah, and plus people were just dumber at Magic back then. I mean, the dude had another cop, so <laughs> it didn't matter. But um, and then the. Happy story is Tony side won his quarterfinal match and he was already queued. So the notion of queued players being able to play in PTQs is another special feature. And because Lauer was first out of the Swiss, even though he lost, he got promoted to a slot. Oh my god! Awesome. <laughs> so that that was that was magic back. What is it? Like Nineteen ninety-seven. That's like ninety-six or ninety-seven, I think. So um, that's that's how we used to play. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you think about the? Uh, GP deck standard wise. What do you, what do you, what's your what's your take on standard right now? It seems if there were it seems much more interesting than I, it seemed a couple weeks ago. I have a very strong opinion. Very strong opinion about this. If there weren't such a deck as Cobblade, which is, in my opinion, probably the greatest standard deck of all time, at least the greatest standard deck since Necropotence. Okay. Would you agree with that, right? I, it's, it's certainly right up there. Okay. I would say that the deck that Andrew Cunio and Sam Black produced that Reduke used to make back-to-back top eights. Is it's such a masterwork? This is what this is the Bant deck. Yeah, the Bant deck with one overgrown tomb. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's it is such a special deck, um, and I mean it's it's uh, after he won the world championships, Andre Coimbra did an interview and he wrote an article and he said. You know, some people don't appreciate this deck. He said, but, like, there have to be players only on the order. And he, he named myself and Patrick. He's just like, only players who who uh, who design at this level can even appreciate the, the, the intricacies and beauty of this deck. And, I mean, look, and I don't know if that's true. Andre said it. Sure. Um, uh, it's true that he said it. It's true that he said it. Uh, <laughs> I think that some things can be acclaimed. Or, but, like, I, I can just imagine myself at, like, a a less mature stage of understanding magic, looking at this deck and seeing a bunch of random numbers, you know? But, like, it has one alchemist's refuge. Do you know why? Because it's, like, exciting? No. It didn't have an alchemist's refuge the first time he made top eight. Yeah. Because when when Juza won with the Crater Hoof combo deck, they needed to be able to cast Supreme Verdict every other turn during their opponent's combat. So they actually craft a position where they get into a loop of Elixir of Immortality and Supreme Verdict, so they can cast Supreme Verdict at instant speed every other turn. So they have one card that allows them to... This is like, you know how you're like, oh, Mike, you always craft for corners? Yeah. The entire deck is crafting for corners. Right. Like, that's one. Another one is... The, 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 the big one is the Nephalia Drownyard, and the, one Nephalia Drownyard and one Overgrown Tomb. And, you know... Uh, Sam was the one who put the the Nefali ground there, and Reed was very, very strong. Uh, make sure I, I knew this. Um, but you can far seek for the overgrown tomb. The thing is, like, say your opponent has a ghost quarter. Say you get Liliana and you have to discard one of these cards. Because it plays an elixir of immortality, they can always get stuff back. And sure. the core, the core so reason, the, the elixir of immortality in this case becomes like a card, like uh, a Gaia's blessing. Well, I was thinking of the Gaia's blessing. I was thinking about like the land that you know, puts an artifact back on top of your deck. Sure, right, you know. But like because they have Sphinx's Revelation, so they can like it's, it's originally there just to loop Sphinx's Revelations. So you're like, oh, I just have a bunch of Sphinx's Revelations and and. And Elixir of Immortality, so I can keep casting Sphinx's Revelation, and then I don't deck because I have immor- Elixir of Immortality. I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> Brian. This is every deck I've ever played in the history of Magic. If I use the word masturbating, it's probably uncouth, but I, you know, just imagine Brian right now. Uh, put it back. We're looking at this beautiful deck. Um, so, uh, this is, I mean, it's such a masterwork, this deck. Uh, the first time he queued, he didn't have, I think, a Jace. I think he had two amass the components instead. Yeah, yeah. But he, like, added these Augur of Bolas to block the Grave Crawlers that had just won the previous Grand Prix. But it's functionally the same deck as previous, but the the little tweaks are so beautiful. In this. And look, he's got Sigarda, Host of Herons. Like, nobody plays that card, but it's just awesome. Uh, Osip has, I, I told him I was winning a lot of matches with Sigarda, like, maybe three weeks ago. And he was like, I think that we're going to get to a point where people just keep playing Sigarda and, like, play four Sigardas. It's so it's, good. It's, it's, it's really powerful. I mean, I well, would... Especially if you see, start seeing, like, Liliana's and stuff like that, right? Sure. 
I would note that all these really cool decks that people have been playing and winning with, I've played with all these cards, just not in 60-card decks. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Acceleration plus plus uh, Sphinx's Revelation. I was doing that two months ago. <laughs> Cigar to host a Heron's off. <laughs> I first picked that. <laughs> Yeah, no, this deck is such a masterwork. How do you hold this deck up against, like, the red black? Okay, so. The the, the red black deck, which which I gotta tell you, that deck does not feel like a GP winning deck to me. So, I would. It's in in actually one consecutive GP. I I understand. I understand. I'm just saying, like, I respect that deck, but, like, having played with it and, like, played with the mana, it feels like. The way I would look at it is this the red black deck. It's obvious it's a breakdown deck. It won consecutive GPs. Fine. But, like, really, is this going to be the deck anybody remembers? It, it actually has some interesting innovations. Well, the deck everyone right? remembers from this period is probably going to be Hoof even more than this, right? Maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just come back, keep back to think of what, what Andre, Andre said, like, three years ago. I appreciate this deck in a way that I have not appreciated a deck in many, many years. It's so... I mean, the only word I can think of is special. It's so well put together. It... it it's, it's, it's certainly elegant. And the thing is, it has, like, a infinite infinite win percentage against a, a regular Bant deck. Because, like, you're in a situation where both decks have, like, more than enough ways to kill the opponent's Thrag Tusk. So, like, <laughs> it's got a Lixer of Immortality, Dissipate... Attention Spear and, good, and Supreme Verdict. I've been the surprised by how good Dissipate's been. It's interesting, right? Yeah, it's really, it's really come around. And it's like it's actually like a really clunky kind of deck. It's like a 1997 John Finkel deck yeah. where where you know his only blue card is count. Do you remember this? His only blue card is Counter Spell. Sure. You you see a point where you could uh, and, and maybe not now. Maybe after Gate Crash comes out, where you could see this deck go red. Like uh, one of the cards, one of the cards we've been talking. I, I think I've even talked to you before. It's like. Is Goblin Electromancer? Like, yeah, we talked about it in the previous. Do, do, doing the same thing that the Augur does here it doesn't get you a card, mm. but it but it like it trades. See, I, and then in the late game, like the ability to like play uh, dissipate as counterspell. A, I would say that I'm sure that there's some sort of red blue deck that we haven't seen yet that would be very interesting. But the reasons that this deck is good is inherently tied to like the Singleton lands. I think right. So the Goblin Electromancer deck that you're positing. It's not giving yeah, you, you like that, the, you need to have red blue on turn two for that. Deck. Yeah, and you don't, like, yeah, you yeah. need to be able to do stuff like instant speed wrath, or and even like instant speed detention sphere right. or something to to, to to really appreciate the but interesting you can, you can instant speed missing mortars. I guess or... that's cool. I mean, I wonder if like Reed did a lot of like <laughs> a lot of men. like Azorius <laughs> charm. Your your uh, what's the name of the five five pacer dragon? That guy's sweet though. Oh, the Thundermaw Hellkite. Yeah, like, Azorius Charm, your Thundermaw Hellkite, Nephalia Drowned, you. I'm sure that, like, came up at some point. Like, yeah. And it's just, like, all the little things, it... And, like, he's going to even go, like, quad Azorius Charms after sideboarding, because the Red Black deck has so much haste. It's got, um, four, you know, it's just got, like, tons of, like, Hellriders, Falcon Wrath Aristocrats, Thundermaw Hellkites... And the the thing that's interesting about that red black deck is it's kind of like ignores curve, right? It has like an eight pack of two power one guys, but then after that, it's got like threes and fours and more fours and five. And I mean, the deck the deck lowered its curve considerably, right? From from like, the red black deck, the red black deck. Well, by like going from like brimstone volley down to pillar of flame. I think that the brimstone volley to pillar of flame is not so much an attention to curve, but just attention to zombies. That the uh, that the uh, the previous winning deck was zombies, so they needed to have a more direct answer to Gravecrawler and Drow's right. Messenger. Right. Um, that's that's my reading. I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, they, does it reduce curve? Yes. They I said it was also it. partial. I, I think I read something about it being also... also I, I didn't read the coverage. I just looked at the deck list. Yes, yeah, made some assumptions. I mean, I don't know. been doing it for a while. <laughs> uh, that's one thing. And then uh, Conley's deck, I always I, like to I, see what some... I, I love Conley. Oh, wait, so let's play a game. Okay. Uh, I'll, let's, let's play a game. <laughs> Mm, ultimate price. <laughs> Armada worm. Armada worm. Okay, that's not that's not nearly bad enough. <laughs> Gotta go with how about, how about Armada Worm? Oh, no, no, return. No, 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 here we go, here we go. Clifftop retreat. <laughs> Slaughter games. 
and triumph for ferocity. <laughs> like, well, obviously, play a four color reanimator deck. <laughs> triumph for ferocity seems actually pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, no, I wonder like, people don't play it more. Like, like just think about it even like on the play, like. Oh yeah, you're like elf like, this thing. Elf this, yeah. And like you're playing in some like do nothing, really, control do deck. nothing farcy bad deck. You're like, oh, I'll draw a card. Yeah, it's very. I actually know what card I, I love. I think this card's actually really. Sweet. I think this to me is one of the like real breakout innovations. Like a lot for, of good players for, been playing it for maybe two three weeks already. Yeah. You, you know, what card I love, Liliana of the Dark Realms. I, love, I you know really I love, love that, that card. card. So, okay, let's play some more Conleywood game. <laughs> I mean, we got to start with like uh, Armada Worm. <laughs> So, seriously, Clifftop Retreat's got <laughs> Clifftop Retreat. <laughs> Alright, for those of you at home who don't know what Conley Woods game is, there was a TCG player championship, was it last year? Yeah, yeah. That all of us were queued for, me, Brian, and then like a bunch of our friends from elsewhere in the country. Patrick Chapin, Brian Kibler, Conley Woods all came down and we, we all played Magic in, in uh, Chicago and Todd Anderson actually ended up winning the tournament. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, Conley was, like, trying to pick between two decks. Like, one of them was Cawblade, and the other one was, like, <laughs> some sort of, like, Vampires with Kicker, Discard, Wildfire. Would that yeah. be a fair? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, I don't even remember. What, it, it's, it was, the, it was the, the, the vampire that you could pay. It's BBB. Yeah, it's Kicker Vampires. Multi-Kicker. Like, I want to say, what's the... the the signet that has like counters on it that you can make it bigger oh, and bigger. Oh, flowing cup. Yeah, ever flowing chalice. That thing, wildfire. Cup, was, cup of yeah. kung, cup of cup of kung fu vampires. And That's like I would, I would watch him play. Like we're playing like fun games on the side, and it was always getting destroyed. Then he would draw like his one of like, this kind of removal spell. One of this, and he kept getting out of it. He's like, I think this deck's pretty good. So I laid out his deck, and I'm like, calmly, do you really have this, this, and this in the deck? So then we created this thing called Conley Woods Game, and Brian and I will probably develop it into Magic's Chopped, right? <laughs> I thought, it's called Conley Woods Game, and you just name three random cards. And then, and you, have to, then you have to cohesive your yeah. deck around. Well, and not you, but Conley Woods has to make a deck. <laughs> so you just name these ridiculous cards, and Conley will, like, completely straight face, because... This is how he does decks, I think. You take yeah. it completely seriously. He's like, well, obviously, you would just go boop, 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 boop. That's a pretty good deck. All the cards that land <laughs> face up are the ones I build with. <laughs> go. So, you know, a classic Conley Woods deck. Um, and this was, it's a, it, this it's was, a pretty straightforward looking It's deck. actually a pretty straightforward block I mean, Naya aggro deck that happens to have three unburial rights is how actually right. I, the read that I put on it. It's yeah. not really a reanimator deck. It doesn't have mulches and trackers instincts and so forth. No, no, no. But getting you know, reanimating a Mata Worm or you, know, yeah, you have like some inevitability. Just value, like... I mean, it, although, just playing with our Mata Worm is kind of interesting to me. Like, most of the decks that want to play fair, if they go past the Rag Tusk, typically go uh, Angel of Serenity, not Armada Worm. I, I like Armada Worm, but, you know, right. I think it's unusual here. Um... But those are those are the interesting decks, I think. Yeah. Well, they also have the top 16 decks up, so, you know, you get, like... Jerry Thompson, this guy is very good at playing tournaments and... Yeah, just, like, the, the red, white, blue, like, very, pretty much just aggro deck, right? Like, well, it's, like, this deck is, like, a value instance deck, right? Yeah. He's got, like, Augur of Bolas and Snapcaster Mage and Pillar of Flame. There was one deck in here that I really loved. This deck's, you know, kind of... Big. I haven't looked at this. This is the Elfie deck. <laughs> the Elfie deck? Yeah, okay, Arbor Elves, Addison Pilgrim, Borderland Ranger, Daybreak Ranger, Elvish Visionary, Hauntmaster, and Restoration Angel and Thrag Dusk. I'm sure Brian Kibler. Actually, the deck that is interesting to talk about, I think, is Brian Kibler's green-white deck from Charleston. No, no, this this is the deck that I loved. I was playing around with this deck the other day. <laughs> how many? One Drog Skull Reaver? One Drog Skull Reaver. So, how do you, how do you, how, how often do you think this happened for this guy in the tournament? At the end of your turn, cast Azorius Charm, give my creatures lifelink, activate my old Div- Olivia Voldaren, <gasps> shoot down your team, and draw like six draw cards. six cards. Never, 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 never happened. Never happened. <laughs> so th- it's, like, it's like bonfire of the Sphinx's revelation. So you're talking about Matt Sewell's top 16 deck, and this is many colors, and many of our cards are fun. I so. mean, this is this is actually an iteration of Conleywood. Like, if I said to you... Which Drunk deck did Conleywood make? <laughs> if I said to you, Drunkstall Reaver, Olivia Voldar, and Soren Lord of Istrad... 
All right, no, this you are not doing it right. Watch. Vault of the Archangel. <laughs> Archangel. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Rolling Templar. Vault of the Archangel. Snapcaster Mage. Rolling Templar. That is how you play Conley Woods' game. Well, obviously, you had one drug skull reaver. It's obvious. Um, yeah, this deck's this bizarre. Oh, no, 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 here. The, you, you, we're not even scratching the surface. Sundering Growth. Lone Revenant. <laughs> Rolling Templar. Because Sundering Growth will really put you off. It could, it might be it could be anything. It could be anything. And I mean, we're not trying to make fun of Mad Sea. No, no, I, 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 I like it. I played with this deck a bunch. I'm just I don't making like, fun I don't, of Conley Woods. I don't like the Rolling Tumblers. Like, I found them to be expensive expensive, and difficult to cast. Like, a combination of... Like, In your Azorius term deck. Yeah, yeah. A combination of clumsy and... We should not play be, Conley Woods. And it's just... It'd be the best game. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely should. But, uh... Yeah, so, like, I, I don't know, standard seems pretty exciting to me. Like, just what do you mean by like, exciting? I don't you, like you, unpredictable you, formats. But I like it. Like, as someone, as someone, I like some amount of uncertainty. I, like, I don't like unpredictable. I, but it's not unpredictable, right? Like, they're all... Like, people are right now... Everyone's just huddled around the, like... You know, the periphery of the format, and it's still just like jostling, trying to find out what the best. Like, obviously, three weeks obviously ago. The, the new lands from Return to Ravnica, or the new old lands, you know, yeah. shock lands, have allowed for a lot, of, a lot of different strategies, a lot of different color alignments. They, put, they pair particularly well with the lands from uh, the core set. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, I mean, sorry, sorry I mean, the lands from Innistrad, I should say. No, they pair really well with the lands from the oh, core set as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I would just pause for a sec. Yeah. The thing that... It's not that I don't like this, right? I, I try not to just, like, overlay my opinion on things and then think that sure. that's, that's how everyone should play Magic. Um, but three weeks ago, four weeks ago, people were like, this format's all mid-range. And if you look at, like, a Star City Opens Top 8, it was nothing but value junk tokens, value junk reanimator, sure. Jun decks... Maybe a blue white. Like, oh, how novel! A ghost of Saint Traft. You know? <laughs> and people were like, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks ago at the dawn of the format, people were like, oh, zombies, zombies. And then we saw that stark shift when um, uh, the Roanoke guys all switched to blue, red, white control with Todd winning the first event. Brad Brad Nelson's deck, but uh, anyway, it was somewhat controversial because. Brad and Jerry had been like, oh, zombies, zombies, zombies. You should definitely go zombies. And then they, they went mid-range. I mean, like, I actually told Jerry, I'm like, you should never apologize for that kind of stuff. Did you put out good, did you put out good content? Great. Yeah. People appreciate it? Great. You are not now bound to do something because you did something that people liked. Right. I mean, you, you agree with this. Yeah, right? I, agree. I agree. So, so, so we're like, and then zombies is like kind of outmoded. And actually I wanted to run a neener, neener, neener because many, many weeks ago before. Not you. No, not me. Before before Return to Ravna came out, we were like having this not a fight. You know, I think there might have been a twenty tweets about it or something. But like, I was just like, how's zombies supposed to beat this curve? And I was just saying plausible curves that decks that people have been playing for weeks and weeks could do. And Jerry and Brad were like, no, we tried that. Zombies is too good. Zombies is too good. And then like, Edmund said the funniest thing. He's just like, brb, getting popcorn. Um, and it just started, obviously, these herbs that are like Borderland Ranger, Centaur Healer, Thrag Tusk, Restoration Angel, just clogging up the board, where one guy eventually bonfires, or one guy eventually goes over the top with, with uh, Angel of uh, Serenity or something, was what was dominating the format for quite a while. And then we had this, like, stark shift to decks like what Sam Black was advocating, and or this really special deck that Reed Duke's been able to do. And, you know... You have LSV saying, there is no mid-range. How can that be, there is no mid-range? Three, four weeks yeah, ago, like, it was nothing but mid-range. But I, mean, I, like, I feel like, looking at this top 16, a ton of these decks are mid-range. None of them, I mean, but look at the ones at the top eight. <laughs> top 16, fine, right? Wait, is this not, isn't that a mid-range? I mean, I would call the blue-red-white deck a very mid-range control deck, right? It has, like, both... Aggro and... Yeah, I, I, I love Ben Rasmus and Kibler's... I don't know who's... Or I guess it's Raptor's deck, actually. It was actually right? very much... It, this is not Kibler's deck. This is Raptor's deck, right? This is the Absent Pilgrim, Champion of the Parish, Precinct Captain... Precinct Captain Rancor. Yeah. I mean, what a combo, right? I think it's interesting how Faith Shield has kind of picked up in so. popularity. I hate... You know, I re- really, really hate... Um, getting blown out or beaten by certain cards, that if my opponent were just simply blue, I wouldn't mind. 
But like losing to like a Fate's Shield or a Divine Deflection, sure. or something, I just get like Apostle's Blessing. I, I got Ranger's God this week. Yeah, that card's good. I forgot about Ranger's God. Yeah, no, that card's I just, good. I just like. Respect. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Like, had, didn't we have any Rangers guys that we have in our deck for the TCG player? It hadn't been printed yet. We didn't play that card. Sure. Oh, no. What did, oh, we we played, played Groundswell. We oh, played the way better card. Oh, we had Vines of the Vines of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, you have these, you have these, like, vast amounts of strategies. Like, I feel like you have to kind of, actually, maybe it's highly predictable that uh, guys like Tyler Lytle with the the black red kind of I wouldn't really call it black red zombies like black red no, haste aggro yeah you have to kind of come at a come at a big tournament like that like a mallet now because you can't actually prepare for all these you know decks that are way spread across the spectrum mid range control decks have to be able to deal with all these different things sideboards for right like you like you, you only make, got seven you make one call your main deck. And then you have another planned sideboard. Well, yeah, if you look at if you look at um, Reed's deck, the fact that he has the one overgrown tomb and the one and the one Nefaladrinder, he actually has a massive level of inevitability against other control decks. Imagine you're playing straight blue light control, like Edgar Flores played a few weeks ago, or Stanislav Sivka played at the recent Grand Prix. I, we talked about this, I think, two podcasts ago, where I, and you like made a facetious comment. I'm like, you know, you're playing straight blue white, and I'm playing Bant, and I cast a Farseek. I'm way ahead of you just because I've cast it's just a one for one. But the fact that I have like a mana jump is very significant. My think twices are better. I'm gonna be able to like cast my dissipate for you know all these all these things. And and Reed is getting the overgrown tomb, maybe. And this is it's pretty significant. I mean, are you gonna counter a mass of the components on turn three? It's not worth it, it's just a mass of components. It depends it depends on the situation, right? Like, I mean, do you count a far seek? On the on the play? Yeah. What deck am I? Blue white? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, they, somebody did like a top five or whatever, and they quoted me from Twitter. Actually, I don't. I, I actually it was like a small conversation I had with someone that didn't have any, any. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I'm like here are the top ten cards in standard. I just somebody just asked me what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So they actually made it to a, a, a daily MTG article, and I was like really shocked at other people's top five lists. Like. I don't know how many people have Thalia Guardian of Thrive. It was obviously on my list. I think you kind of have to have a Thalia Guardian of Thrive if you're if you're a certain kind of deck. And then like nobody else had Farseek at all. Like Farseek is so far and away an important like fundamental tool in this format. It's like it's so it's played in Jund, it's played in Naya, it's played in Junk, it's played in you know some of the Reanimator decks, right. and it's a defining card in these band. Right. Well, it turns it turns on your your third color, right? Yeah, it, it, at the very least, it turns on your third color. I mean, the fact that people can drop a Jace on turn three when their opponent went second. I mean, like, what if you're second? You're like, all right, I go one second. My second turn play is like a tapped steam vents. Are you dead now? <laughs> you're just stone dead. Like, <laughs> you're dead against hoof, right? They just kill you. I mean, hoof can't kill you with that. I mean, actually, maybe they can. <laughs> I mean, hoof's hoof's pretty fast. So, you know, you have, you have to. Movie club shortly. Not yet. I have 15 minutes while you're trying but, to get rid of me. No, but I want to, I do want to talk. So, you know, we've seen a lot of standard. We're seeing a lot of, you know, the the impact of the Ravnica dual lands, obviously, having a big effect on a lot of these decks and like the ability really sort of lowered the difficulty level on the Collingwoods game somewhat, right? You know, because, you know, you can get you know, your colors fixed. So what you're saying is Vault of the Archangel yeah, <laughs> works yeah. well with Rolling Templar yeah, and yeah. Snapcaster Mage these days. Got it. Okay. What do you want to see from the guilds in Gatecrash? So which guilds are we going to see? So, green, blue, so we're gonna see, green, red. So we're going to see Simic, Gruul, Boros, Demir, and uh, Orzhov. All of them are going to be available by the yeah. second set? So yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. third set? The third set is all ten. Okay. The third cool. set. The third set's all ten, and then. So actually, many of my favorite guilds are in this. So I mean, you're you're Demir, right? Is that your? I mean, my you... my actual personality is Demir. Yeah. So basically, so um, I, I had a conversation with Patrick Chapin last week about this, and I said, you know, I'm about as I'm the Demirest of all, and he's like, he like laughed at me. He's like, anyone who declares themselves the Demirest of all is not really Demir, and I'm like, all right, I I guess I have a slime mold growing on my <laughs> my desk. Yay, science! I'm cynic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you read like the the writer bios. Patrick wrote this like eloquent like paragraph about about like um, basically what a demir person would say, and then he's like, "Is it for life?" Because <laughs> that's what a true demir would say. <laughs> so yeah, so I would say like, I'm demir because 
Um, I want ultimate knowledge and ultimate power. That's like exactly what the Demir want. What, what are you, Brian? I would say center. I'm right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you're wearing it. <laughs> By the way, uh, you got you got a a guild T-shirt from Watson. Yeah. So I got my guild. My wife is like, actually, really like this. My it's wife. Cool. My wife had the same exact reaction. She was like, "These are awesome. They're really cool." My wife has never had a reaction like yeah. that. She's like. Throw that away. Yeah. This is the typical reaction. Is that a horse with a flaming mane and <laughs> a sword? And get get that out of here. I, I wore the same like versus system Ghost Rider T-shirt for like. I mean, I, was it like two podcasts ago we talked about like crazy Mike Flores rituals? So I wore it like, and I mean, I won like three or four big tournaments in a row wearing this. Shirt. And my wife was just like, "This T-shirt is hideous," and she threw it away. <laughs> that was a lucky T-shirt. Um, anywho, what do I want to see from that? I love Orzov. What love- do you want to see out of those? So, so what do you want to see from Demir? Like what? Okay, so I'll go through all the guilds. Yeah. I expect nothing from Demir. <laughs> um, Demir was terrible in the last time it was, it was around and it was only through, you know, the genius people who actually liked blue and black cards, sure. not actually using the Demir strategies sure. that they were able to elevate that up. And I really expect nothing from Demir. Um, most of the time when blue and black decks are good, it's a result of somebody missing something, not somebody but, building but something. Don't, but don't you, don't you think there's sort of a bar set right now? Like, blue-white is obviously fantastic in standard. I expect nothing from Demir, and I didn't even know there was blue-black guild. <laughs> okay. That's all I'm... Gruel I'm really excited about. Okay. I actually made a fairly good Gruel deck without any Gruel cards right now. Because um, the red face creatures are really good, and they... You know, as we can see from the red-black deck, they're really good. And if you pair them with, like, the green stuff, you actually have a substantial advantage against the red-black aggro deck. And, right. you know, you're just playing with, like, four uh, Cavern of Souls and then, like, a bunch of, like, Hell Riders and Dragons, a little ramp and some Garricks. Like, control decks have a hard time with that. Yeah. Um, and I think you get that just more more of the same is something I'm actually pretty excited about, Gruelai. What do, you, what do you want them to do? You just want to have, like, some... Uh, actually, if I just got Stomping Grounds, it'd be enough for me. Well, that's what you're going to get. Because right now, I'm just literally the only land I can Farseek for in my deck is Mountain. Sure. So I just have to have enough Mountains that my Farseeks can hit something. Sure. Which is it's pretty silly, if you think right. about that, right? But, you know, you have three Mountains in play, and you can cast the Mizium Mortars. I love Mizium Mortars. It's one yeah, of my you, favorite you cards. You said that right at the outset of looking at that card. Yeah, it's, a, it's outstanding. I, I've won more matches just top-decking in Mizzen Mortars when I was in trouble. So oftentimes your opponents just don't even ever see it coming, right? You might have, like, a Rakdos Kirun and, like, a Dragon's Call Summit in play, and you're like, oh, rip a Mizzen Mortars. All right, Liliana goes gets, uh, you know, Blood Crypt and just six for one you. And they're like, wow, that's pretty bad for me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think probably cards that would make maybe a deck that's, like, good, quick creatures, Cavern of Souls and Garrick's. I, it doesn't need much more than stomping grounds. Maybe yeah. something that would lower the curve. Have My we, curve's a little clunky. I mean, right just now. changing tech. Have we really seen any of the mechanical stuff in Return to Ravnica and the guilds make its way into constructed? What are the mechanics? So, populate. Populate. We've a seen, little bit in reanimator, like oh, just a little bit. Not. I've certainly seen the sand stack, for example. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, like I said, the first time we talked about it, I've never actually gotten the combos off. Now, I've been beaten by Populate, and, like, I've lost to a deck that was dedicated Populate at States, and I've, like, lost some casual games to Populate. But it's not the kind of deck that's tearing down either the Star City Opens or, or the Grand Prix. We haven't seen Detain do anything. Well, it seems, it seems not... Um, uh, there was a deck that performed well that had two inaction injunctions, right? Neither that that's... Sure. Uh, so I mean, right. Um, I like the, the four mana thing that detains every turn. Yeah. Yeah, military, martial martial law. Yeah, I think that's a, a good card. The only problem with it is, if you have an effect like that, it's it's kind of not not comparing very well to Jace or sure. Tamio. That's the that's the only caveat. I sure, um, Golgaria scavenge, we certainly have not seen. Uh, I mean, Drag Mangler, though, I guess I've lost a Drag Mangler. Drag Mangler has actually made a made a made a go of it. Nothing substantial, though. Sure. Uh, uh, and then, is it is? Uh, I don't know what the mechanic is. Just, is it Static Caster? Flashback. <laughs> flash, flash, flash. I, I actually don't know what is their... Do you remember? What's their... Yeah. I don't know. I played Niv-Mizzets. <laughs> They're pretty good. Uh, uh, so Azorius... Is, so we actually don't... Is it possible that we don't know that... Is it guild ability? I mean, quite possible. I mean, it's possible, obviously. But the, <laughs> this is... This is looking things up. I know. 
Puts her in her There you go. Well, is it? We've seen is it charms. Is it charms an outstanding card? <laughs> I don't think it actually has anything to do with the guild ability. Yeah. Scroll down, marketing. Ah, uh, there we go. Oh, it's overload. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so we just talked yeah. a second ago about how much I like Miss and Cy- Cyclonic Rift is also an excellent card. Right. And um, we haven't seen uh, Unleashes the Rakdos. And that's actually made huge. I mean, just the one the, the one drop that to oh, two, the, two. the Rakdos. And play. actually, I've, I I play against uh, Chainwalkers. Gorehouse Chainwalker. Yeah, I play, seems, I, seems fine. I play against that card. I would say that easily card, fifteen times. Cards an R one essentially three two. Yeah, nobody yeah, blocks. So populate not very much. Unleash has been substantial. Uh, Unleash is the most successful. I would say of all of them. And then detain the least successful. Scavenge slightly more successful than detain. Would you? Would you yeah, agree I think with so. that? I think we uh, seen any populate a little bit more, and then overload and unleash. Yeah. So, um, I, I, like I said, I expect nothing from from Demir. Uh, I think that Demir will probably be able to make a deck that's really... Like, do, you, do you remember when the people were joking around the Jund deck? Like, oh, man, good thing we have all the... What is the Jund ability? It's like some sort of... Was, uh, wasn't the Jund ability just Cascade? No, it's like sacrificing stuff. Oh, Devour. Yeah. Like, oh, man, we have all this Devour, right? No one ever devoured a damn thing. Right. Okay? Um, yeah, the Jund is the... Jund was like a defining deck of yeah. multiple formats. So I think Demir is going to be like that. Someone's going to make like a good black blue deck that has nothing to do with the mechanics of Demir. I'm not. I think that Gul, I'm sorry. Gruel needs very little to be uh, to be successful. Stomp. Gorehouse Chainwalker seems like a fine Gruel card, right? Possible. Uh, I think that Stomping Grounds is really. You know, Cassid Wolf Run. It's already there for you. You know, yeah. all this stuff works well together already. And the thing is, the deck really wants cards like. Um, like a uh, cavern of souls, because when you have to cast creatures to try to be control, it's good. You know, you really want to punish people for having having essence scatters in their hands, and it's the kind of deck that can take advantage of being able to haste people out with dragons and hellriders, and be able to play an attrition game with thrag tusks. And you know, as long as you've got your mana, and green's really good at getting mana. Right. Um, Orzov, I'm really excited. I love Orzov. I loved it last time. You know, uh, Raphael Levy once joked to me, "Do you play black white in every format?" Um, and the answer is hopefully not. But it's already got, like, these great defining cards already in standard, like, Lingering Souls. It's going to be able to take advantage of Soren. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, just building a backbone. Fall to the Archangel. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the main thing that holding back Orzhov today, if, if you think about this, is they probably don't have enough swamps to mutilate, and they don't technically have islands for Supreme. Right. So if you give him a tool like... So the last time um, there was Orzov, we played this kind of like a chip, chip, chip away at you strategy where like there's all these little edges. So uh, especially for a player like myself at that time in my life, chip, chip, chipping away with little edges is like exactly what I wanted to do all the time. That, that kind of deck needs something to kind of finish the glue off in it. They're going to get some cool stuff. They're going to get some kind of Mortify... They're going to get some kind of Ghost Council of Urzova. They're going to get really cool cards like this, I think. And like those cards are really exciting. I mean, Taste of Locking People was awesome, you know? Like, I, that's a kind of kind of a strategy where if you have enough time, you really get to play Magic, and people love playing Magic. I mean, agree with that? Yeah. Overall? Yeah. Um, let's see. We were missing Simic, Simic. And, and Boros. I mean, these are two guilds that are so close to my heart, right? Yeah, Both yeah, of them. yeah. Uh, I mean, so, for like all I really want is one Coiling Oracle. You're gonna get some more than I mean. Like, oh no, no. Apparently, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been sort of given the like, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So like, uh, make some room in your in your commander deck. There's there's some good stuff coming in Simic. Um. So should we? So obviously, uh, speaking of Coiling Oracle, I want to backtrack actually to a semi part of the conversation we had last time. Uh, obviously, I didn't make the Moto Cube. Um, Max McCall went a completely different direction on the Moto Cube than, than I might have suspected. Uh, oh, yeah. Power and everything. But well, we should work on the cube, though. What we should, we should do. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to do... We, we talked about doing uh, the, the... What was it? Like the Value Cube. Value Cube or yeah. whatever. So. so, I talked to Patrick Chapin about it like that night. Yeah. And he's just like, I really like this idea, but you have to, you have to give it some... You have to give it some structure. You can't just, like... Say do, every card that yeah, does you can't this just like in. do a gather switch. He's like, you gotta have, you gotta have underworld dreams in this, right? You got, but if you have underworld dreams, you gotta have storm seekers, all of them. You know, like 
think about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, if we're going to do this, like, let's find a way to punish people for, for following our strategy. <laughs> give people things to do and then, and then things to punish. But the, you have to have something sure. like that. Otherwise, it's going to be too monotonous. Sure. Right? That's really... I mean, like, don't you want to have, um, like, a coiling oracle and a borderland ranger flipping up a vengevine? Isn't that the kind of thing that... I mean, like, let, let, let me set up a situation for you, Brian. Cast a Mulcher Tracker's Instinct, okay? You get a Coiling Oracle with your Tracker's Instinct or whatever. You, like, flip Vengevine with Mulcher and, like, you know, maybe Rampant Growth. And then you're, like, Borderland Ranger, Coiling Oracle, Vengevine. I mean, isn't that exactly how you want to play Magic? That's, that is exactly how I play Magic whenever I'm playing Commander. Isn't that how you played Magic last time you qualified for a premiere event? Sure. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, like, like, isn't that exciting? And then on the other... You could have somebody who's necropotent... Like, Remember the old school fights back in 1996, 1995 even, where there's one dude on this on this side of the table who's got a dark ritual necropotence, and the other side of the table's got a howling mine and a storm seeker. I mean, like these are going to be the fights that this cube you, is going to be about. Do, do you remember? Uh, it wasn't. What was the the other card? It was. It was a card that you could name a card type. Blood oath. Blood oath. And I'm playing against. Have Scott you ever McCord. done a I'm playing against Scott McCord. Five oh. Playing against Scott McCord. Scott McCord Tractor Fictions. Yeah. And he reveals five lands, and I'm just like, and I just do that, like, five oh, yeah. And he gladly takes the five land, and I'm like, fifteen. Blood oath, you naming land. What's what's the greatest example of such a shrug you you can ever remember? Uh, it's generally Stevo. Really? Yeah, Stevo in general is just always the the best at feigning weakness. I have, I have a different different option for you. Team PTQ, the year. It's 2003. Dave Price Fan Club, 01. Opponent, third turn, Exalted Angel. <laughs> do you remember this story? Yes, I do. So our, my, our opponent, a third turn, Exalted Angel, flipped it over, hit me, and I just, like, slumped in our chair. McKenna walked away. Like, five minutes later, I'm filling in the, the, the form, and I, was, I just remember I, like, slumped. I killed, like, he was just all in on this exalted angel, and then I'm, like, I, like, let him hit me, and there's, like, boom, 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 kill it. He's, like, what? And I like, came back. So sweet. I remember, that was my favorite slump ever. Yeah. Actually, this, like, brings me to a different topic, which is, like... Slumping? So, I mean, like, what percentage of games do you think are winnable by mental game? Purely on mental game. I think it's got to be over 80%. I mean... 80% of non-manuscript games. Sorry. I, 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 I think it's probably smaller than that. It's a it's, very high percentage. I mean, if you're playing against someone who is not very experienced, like... Like Kenji Samura. Or Siochi Fujita, or Mark Herberholtz, or Kai Bude. Because we've both done coverage of matches where the greatest players of all time were just juked. Sure. Not John Finkel. I mean, the dude might not block a wolf, but he wasn't tricked in the sure, wolf. Sure, sure. Um, you, you know all the matches I just referenced. Yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously. I mean, I, I, think it's certainly, I think it's certainly possible at any time that that can happen. I think that the percentage of matches where it, where it actually... No, I'm not asking what percentage of matches it happens. I'm asking what percentage of matches are winnable via these techniques. I think Not it's a huge that, percentage. Well then, yeah, I mean, they they are winnable given some scenario where I don't know, like, someone's able to... Like a feigned weakness slump on the third or fourth turn. Steve-O did that to me the first time in like 1997. I thought I was going to win too. I had a cop black. He was playing a zombie deck. He ended up winning, you know? Like, it's, you know, you... I... I I don't know, I once won a PTQ where I only won two legitimate matches the entire day, and I played 13 rounds. I won 11 matches. Actually, I took a draw. I, I tricked Theron Martin, who I thought had an unwinnable matchup for me, into an incredibly low EV draw in the second to last round. Not the round that we would be drawing into top eight, in the second to last round. By, like, some voodoo hoo-ha about Patrick Chapin, and he just, like, bought it, and then, like... I would never have beaten him. My deck was Flesh Reavers. His deck was Wall of Blossoms. I made top eight. And every match in the top eight until the finals, I won only on, you know, trickery and shenanigans. Like, I mean, it's kind of like a quantum question. It's like, yes, every match. No, it's... Every, but it, like, like yes, every match can be won on that. You've watched dozens or hundreds or 
thousands of magic matches. And look, a lot of them have surprising outcomes, and it's only because a man played against a man, not like a man played against the board. Sure. But I, th- I think, well, I think all, I think all games of magic are played... Against the other player. Against the other player. Especially, especially the at the higher levels. I mean, certainly, then, you can't... Actually, but it's like, but but at some point, at some Stanislav point, Sivka can win without drawing a land. At some point, the at at some point, the players just have to play the cards though at the same time, right? At some point, you know, you just have to be like, well, these are, the, you know, the, at, at the highest levels, people are also like, well, these are the percentages, right? Like. You can bluff. Yeah, but you, you can bluff. A, you can bluff John Finkel. But you, like if you just represent to yes. John that you have something that is likely enough for, for you to have it, he's just going to play around it. I have successfully bluffed John Finkel. But that's that's. I that. still wouldn't pick me against John Finkel. No, no, right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, but I'm saying, but John's still going to then play the I'm cards. Monkey tilted John Finkel once. I, you know that time where I'm on the play and I don't play my Tin Street Hooligan. As I wait for John to play his signet, then I play third turn century hooligan. John looks at me, because obviously he's probably reading my hand, right? Like, based on which card I drew versus which card I played. He's like, tell me you did not just do that. How could you possibly not play your two drop on turn two? It's the worst play I've ever seen. I'm like, pretty sure you're going to die with no colors and play four color. <laughs> he's like, even though I'm like, play, no! Play badly, get berated. <laughs> no Conley Woods game. <laughs> I see a Rakdos signet in the graveyard and a green and a blue land in play. This is my strategy. <laughs> yeah? You, you were there that night, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I recall this. Play, play badly, get berated. I don't, I'm not convinced this is six years ago that I played badly. I think I made the right... I looked at my hand and I'm like, I can play my two drop or I can screw John. <laughs> He's the greediest drafter in, in the entire world. That's, that's fair. He's more or less the greediest character. Sure. I mean, the odds of John not playing a signet on turn two are pretty low. Yeah, and I was yeah. really. Ch- <laughs> anyway, I should right. go to my. Yeah, team. I got. I got to get. I got to get. All right. Tree. This uh, is uh, Michael J. Flores, Brian David Marshall. Did we just Andrew. really just podcast three weeks in a row? Three weeks in and a row. And we're gonna have three podcasts published in one week. And we only talked about magic. We on- tonight we only talked about magic. Yeah. Did you like how I did the show notes and the one that came out? I did how I did the show notes. I, I haven't looked at it oh, yet. Yeah. Go look. Go look. I will. Bob, let's, let's, we've All got to wrap up. Bye.